I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Some exchange betting companies run short-lived promotions, like months-long offers of low commission. At BetDAG, we wanted to change the way we did things, so we set our commission at 2% permanently. That's 2% on football, horse racing, golf, almost any sport. 2%. That's just one way that BetDAG is changing for the better. For the better, like you. BetDAG, the 2% commission exchange. Over 18s only, please gamble responsibly. Hello and welcome back to the Roger Report podcast. Today, we've probably got the ultimate special guest with us, opposite me right now, sits the only British man ever to win the European Golden Boot, former England international, I think my stats are right, but score over 113 Sunderland League goals, and a man we know simply as Super Kev. How are you doing, Kevin Ewell? Yeah, I'm great. It's uh, nice to be introduced like that. Don't get introduced like that very often. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, delighted to be here and thanks for having us and uh, always love coming back to the city and Looking forward to chat. So I always like to start with an icebreaker. I'm not very good at them, if I'm honest, but I asked Nicky Summerby a similar question. It was quite a good little icebreaker. In the Sunland squad, who was the best drinker? Oh, I'd have to say I was I was up there. Yeah. <laughs> but only being five foot seven, I couldn't carry as much as probably it's gotta be Quinny. Everyone said Quinny. Quinny. Yeah, Quinny was uh, <laughs> was an awesome drinker and there's there's Man, I'm doing a, a, a talking tonight and I quite often refer back to Nile when people ask questions about having social evenings. So certainly big Nile can drink a pint of Guinness and uh, I certainly wouldn't want to have a, a competition with him, let's put it that way. He's quite a big lad. He's hard to fill up, I can imagine. Well, he's a pint glass in his hand looks like a half pint glass. <laughs> so um, it's about four or five mouthfuls and he, he can down a pint. But um, yeah, he was a top drinker. So going all the way back to the beginning, 1997, you're doing well at Watford. I remember you had an injury, I yep. think, just beforehand. Yep. But Peter Reed and Sunland come in. You're from Hitchin? Uh, Stevenage, yeah. Stevenage, born in yeah. Hitchin, yeah. Stevenage just down the road, yeah. So you're a southern lad. I imagine there was maybe some doubts about moving. Were there any doubts and what convinced you to move to the club? Yeah, well, yeah, there was. Um, it, it, it's simple, really, yeah. Like you say, um, I, I started at Watford. Um, was going very well. Unfortunately, I had a year out injured. Um, when I come back from injury, I started scoring again and... I was getting towards the end of my contract and Graham Taylor had just come in and Glenn Rhoda got sacked and and we couldn't agree couldn't agree a contract to be honest. Yeah. Um so as agents do and I do, I said, let's have a look at elsewhere. And we we managed to get a, a a chat with Ipswich at the time. George Burley was the manager. Um so we had a drive up there, had a chat with them. We agreed personal terms. 
but the club couldn't agree a fee because they had a player at a, they couldn't agree a fee and it so it would have had to go to a tribunal mm-hmm. at the time but they'd already had a player going to tribunal and apparently you couldn't have two going at the same time so it was really it was going to be a, a, sit, a case of just sitting and waiting and I we're sitting in Ipswich's car park and I said I don't want to wait I said what are we going to do I said you know it's made clear really we're not going to agree terms at Watford this ain't going to happen quickly you know I, I want to I want something to happen so he, my agents went right I said uh I'm going to ring Peter Reid. He said, I know he likes you. He said, you know, I spoke to him. He said, you impressed him when you played for Watford up at Roker Park. He said, I'll give him a ring, see what he says. So I said, well, don't don't let him know I'm sitting in the car with you. So we get him on speakerphone. <laughs> uh, believe it or not, they did have speakerphones 20-odd years ago. <laughs> yeah, geez, doesn't but, um, good, does it? Yeah, so he got Reedy on the phone and Reedy was his bubbly usual self and and we just he my agent explained to him the situation. He said, Would you be interested? Reedy went hundred percent. He said, get the lad up here. He said, definitely. So I was like, I was delighted, but I was also nervous. Yeah. Because as you rightly said, a southern boy never only, you know, on a coach have ever been up further up north off the coach player came and get back. But yeah. having the thought of actually having to move and live miles and miles away from home was quite daunting. But you know, we put the phone down. I went, right, I'll go and speak to my girlfriend at the time, who's now my wife. And we was expecting our first baby in December. I just went back and said, look, what do you think? And I hadn't, I'd recently lost I'd lost my father. And I just felt it was right. It was the right time and I need to get away from the area. And so I just went, let's go for it. And packed the car up, left the house at five o'clock the next morning, weren't too sure where I was going. And you could probably say the rest was history. Good decision, you could say. Yeah, I would have to say, you know, you make good decisions and bad decisions in your life. And, you know, generally good decisions come from, for me, on the spur, like, let's just do it, you know. And, and ultimately, it's down to yourself to make it work. But, yeah, you're right. If I, if, if, if To be fair, if the missus had a turn around and said, I don't feel comfortable, mm-hmm. um, then it probably wouldn't have happened. So, you know, she said, let's go for it. And, as I say, the rest is history. Now, it was my first season as a season ticket holder. I remember quite well. And I remember you hit the ground running like immediately. Obviously, the mm. first game you were suspended, I think, Sheffield United. Yeah, that, that's Peter a story Reed. in itself because I forgot to tell <laughs> yeah. Peter Reid. To be honest, I forgot myself. So when I came up and signed, I never, it never even got mentioned. <laughs> and it was literally only probably a week before the game that it clicked that yeah. I was suspended. And I was the most nervous person ever having to tell Reedy. And to be fair, he wasn't too pleased about it. But, um, you know, it was. Uh, I, I quickly found out that you know, you don't want to upset Reedy too much. Um, so he kind of forgave us on on the promise that I would, you know, maybe score in the next game and, and like you say, hit the ground running. And luckily I did. Why do you think you did hit the ground running so fast? Um, I, I think there's probably a combination of things. I, I think, you know, at, at Watford, my goals per game ratio was, was good. I was always confident in my own ability. That's not being arrogant. That's not being big-headed, but that's just the way I have been. And also, I think, playing in a team that created opportunities. It's as simple as that. You can't score. You know, I wasn't a player that, you know, someone like a Thierry Henry, who's one of my heroes in the Premier League, could pick it up 50, 60 yards from goal, take on four players and and, and slot it in the bottom corner. That wasn't my game. You know, I relied on people creating opportunities. Don't get me wrong, you know, I could create in and around the edge of the box, get half a yard, turn, shoot. But um, you've got to have good players around you. You've got to have supply. You've got to have people crossing the ball, sliding you in down the side of centre-half. So that was probably one of the biggest attributes of the side was creating opportunities. And 
you know, at the end of the day, Reedy just said to me, get yourself in the box. Whenever the ball goes wide, get yourself in the box. Always play on the last man. You know, I, I was fairly quick. Get yourself in behind defenders and, and we'll find you. So, uh, you know, it was money. But also, you've got, you got to have that self-belief. Yeah, of and course. And it was quite daunting, don't get me wrong, coming from Vickery's Road, which is a nice stadium. Coming to the stadium alight in front of, you know, the supporters that we, you know, we, we both know that they're incredible. Yeah. Um, expectation was very high because of they just come out of the Premier League. I suppose the unknown people not knowing who I was as well made it a little bit easier. And the pressure probably came more as I started scoring more goals. Yeah. So all of a sudden people know who you are and the pressure becomes bigger. But I enjoyed it and I thrived on it. It, it was probably one of my favourite seasons as a fan in memory, but it started quite toxic in a sense. I remember the Norwich game. Did you ever think yeah. around that period, like before, like obviously up to like the Redden game, well, were you Redden, thinking, yeah. maybe this is the wrong... <laughs> uh, it was, but I was scoring goals. Yeah, of course. Um, and, you know, it's a strange one because every centre forward, and I don't care what they tell you, they're selfish. And I was no different. And it's one of those, you know, whether it's right or wrong, you come off after a game, if you'd been beaten 4-1, but you'd scored, you kind of half years thinking, or part years thinking, I've done my job, um, which, you know, we've, we we could argue about that, you know, day and night, but that's just the way strikers are. Yeah. Uh, and, and don't get me wrong, you know, I was scoring goals, so I felt good in myself, but ultimately it's a team game and and things, you know, collectively, you know, wasn't great. And the Reading game was, you know, probably one of the, the most that hit home to me uh, down at Elm Park. You know, I came off the bench and scored, I think, that day. Four one, yeah, I got the goal, and we got battered. And I remember the walk from the change room to the bus. The supporters were going mental, you know. And it, it kind of from from that, I would say the disappointment, the anger, the aggression shown towards us. There's a funny story comes out of it because John Cook, the kit man at the time, thought he was immune to it, and even he got abuse when he walked <laughs> in. And apparently, says that someone said, "You're you were rubbish when you play for Sunderland as well." So everyone got it that day apart from myself. So it was a, yeah, it was, it wasn't great, but you know, that's the sign of a good, good manager, a good team that we turned it round and uh, really kicked on. The season itself, obviously we turned that round, really, really turned it around, went on an unbelievable mm. run. Do you see similarities though, between like the team of 97, 98 and the team that Sunderland have now where we're kind of chasing that top two because we've had a bit of a, it wasn't a similar kind of period, but we had that period where we drew a lot and we seem to be catching up now in sort of current yeah. day. Do you feel like a similarity of that? Um, yeah, I suppose, you know, I haven't really thought about it until now yeah. you've posed a question. So, yeah, from the outside looking in, you know, it's that expectation, isn't it? You know, yeah. Sunderland have come out the the championship. They've got the biggest budget. They can afford to go and get the best players. They they, they sign a player for what, three or four million in Will Grigg. Yeah. Not many League One teams can do that. And at the time, you know, we just come out of the Premier League. You know, we were able to hold on to our best players. We were able to bring Clarkey in, who's on, you know, big Great. money at the time. Yeah. Um, being able to bring other players in and hold on to players. So there is a similarity in that. The expectation is no different. So yeah, you know, at time at that season we drew a lot of games. Sunderland have drew a lot of games this season. So, yeah, you're right. And it could end up in Sunderland being in a playoff final this year, the same as us. Against Charlton. Against Charlton, <laughs> yeah, <not>. yeah. So, <laughs> um, yeah, it, it, it would be quite bizarre, but football has a habit of throwing those sort of things up, doesn't it? Um, it does. You know, we don't want that to happen. I'd love to see him go up automatically, but 
it's going to go right to the end. So yeah, there's definitely similarities between the two seasons, and uh, you know, I hope that they go that one step more than what we did. Me as well, mate. Me as well. Yeah. Well, what, yeah, what I would say about you know, in our, our year, I think it probably, in hindsight, it was probably the best thing that happened to us not going up that season because mm-hmm. the second season we adapted, we was able to you know, bring more players in. We knew what the league, and then we went on, and I think it set us up as a club and as a squad more for the Premier League than if we had gone up that season. Yes, of course, you want to bounce back straight away, but I think not going up really, it sounds bizarre, but as you saw the season after, we romped it, you know, by a country mile, and then obviously the two seasons in the Premier League, it speaks for itself. Yeah, of course. There's so much stuff I could cover about that season, to be honest, but um, you were here a good six seasons, so I wanted to go straight to the game that sticks out for me, from that season, atmosphere-wise, the, the Sheffield United semi-final. Yeah. What are your memories of that day? Because it was electric that night. The, the best atmosphere, apart from probably Newcastle at home in the two-two draw when I yeah. scored the equaliser, that that was incredible. Yeah, I would have to say, you know, having get get the winning goal that night. Although, albeit, I think it was a deflected. It hit me and just went in. It kind of side yeah, side-footed, yeah. a kind of reaction finish. But the noise was was incredible because we got we got fairly done over down there. It was an uncomfortable uncomfortable yeah. day, or I think it was an evening. So we knew what was at stake. Uh, full house, and I have to say that the atmosphere in that goal winning was electric, and that really hit home. I would have to say my opening goal against Man City, the winning goal. I hadn't experienced anything like that before, but to get that, yeah, that night was. That's probably when people do. Asked me about atmospheres. That is right up there with it. The Wembley goal and the Newcastle goal. Um, so yeah, it was it was incredible evening. It was fantastic to to get through that tile. Then we had a little bit of rest period before, obviously before the final. For the playoffs, obviously you came off injured. You would have took a penalty though, I would imagine. Yeah. Yeah, I, d- I didn't come off injured. I came off with cramp. It was a cramp. Yeah, believe it or not, because I got injured in. I took a knock in the Sheffield United game. And we had 10 days before the final and I didn't train for nearly a week. So I didn't do a lot of training. Believe it or not, Reedy took us away for a few days for a bit of a doubt. One of <laughs> Reedy's uh, famous three or four days chill out, which yeah. turned into a bit of a, a bit of a social. So I didn't train, obviously had a bit of a social and the adrenaline perhaps didn't take on enough fluids before the game. Yeah, It was a hot day, big, big old pitch. It just took its toll. So, yeah, I definitely would have took a penalty. Um, so I, I was gutted that I couldn't finish the game. Sitting on the sidelines and watching it was terrible. Um, but ultimately, again, putting a bit of my selfish head on again, I managed to get the goal that broke Brian Clough's post-war record of goals in a season. So sitting there naturally delighted that I'd done that. Did something that I always dreamt about, scoring at Wembley. But I would have loved to have been on the pitch longer yeah. because... You know, who knows, maybe I'd have got another one or two and, and maybe I'd have got a hat-trick like Mendonca did and maybe yeah. we, maybe we'd have, it's all ifs and buts. And so, yeah, it was disappointing to, to not, have, not have got the win. Worked out in the end. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm skipping forward quite a bit here, yeah, no. but when Quinny took over as chairman, when Niall took over as chairman, um, he spoke about finding a note or something like that with two bids of 20 million or so rejected for yourself. I'm, I, I can't remember if it's right, but I'm sure it was Leeds and Aston Villa. Yep. Were you aware of the bids and did you ever consider leaving at that point? I was aware. I wasn't, I was aware there was interest from Leeds, but the Aston Villa one is funny actually, because I was away on England duty mm-hmm. when it broke. I get a phone call. It was early in the morning. It was about half eight in the morning. And my phone was ringing and uh, I answered it and it, it was my wife. 
And she went, have you seen the front page of the sun? So straight and naturally, I think, blimey, what have I been up to? <laughs> I haven't been out for a couple of weeks. I haven't been a naughty boy. Uh, so I, I, I immediately panicked. And I went, why, why, what's up? She said, oh, Aston Villa have put a £15 million bid in for you. And it made the front page. So naturally, I was like, no, I don't, you know, I haven't seen it. So anyway, I put the phone, I speak to my agent. He, he says, I'll come back to you. So yeah, apparently they did They did put a bid in with John Gregory as a manager at the time. And Reedy, to be fair to him, you know, within the hour, he rang me and said, listen, you're not going nowhere. And I said, well, I've not even had a chance to think about it. He said, I'm not going, you're not going anywhere, just to let you know. He says, I, I want you to sign a new contract. So I never, part of me thought about it. But as soon as Reedy said that and I sat and analysed and I thought about, you know, where we're, where we're going with a football club, how, how well we're doing in the Premier League, I felt we could really kick on. So ultimately we ironed out a new contract and I have to say Sir Bob at the time was was fantastic in, in giving me, I think, what at the time was the biggest contract that Sunderland had ever given to a player. Yeah. So naturally I signed it because I was, I was more than happy where I was. You mentioned Brian Clough before. Obviously, your debut premiership season, the Borough game, I remember quite well. You went on the pitch with the shirt, I think it was Clough number nine or something on the back. Um, did you ever get a chance to speak with Brian about Sunderland or football in general? No, I didn't, unfortunately, because, you know, it, it was quite sad, really, to see. You know, Brian, he wasn't well at the time. Yeah. Um, all, that, all I remember that evening was, obviously, I was I was told that I was going to be presented with a shirt by, you know, the, the legend that was Brian Clough and... Uh, you know, when he introduced me on the pitch, he was waiting, and 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 you could just tell that he wasn't he wasn't well. Yeah. Um, and and he just said, "Well done, congratulations." I said, "Thank you." I said, "It's an honour to meet you." And we're having our photo. And I just remember, well, I remember he, just, he he just kept kicking the back of my heels, like kept tapping me, <laughs> and and I was kind of like thinking, "What's he doing?" But I just I knew at the time, you know, he wasn't in a good place. Yeah. So no, I never really. I, I would love to have had ten minutes, fifteen minutes, sit and chat with him, but. You know, it was just before the game. Yeah. Um, so now I never got a chance to to chat to the, you know, the main man. But it was it was an honour really to to be presented with that shirt and and to have broke his record was 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 great feeling for myself. Yeah, for sure. Obviously, you like scoring against the mags, which I quite enjoyed as well. How did you develop such a knack for it? And which is your favourite derby goal that you scored? Or which one gave you the most pleasure? Shall we say? Um, well, I would say the most obvious one is the one at St James's. I think when I came up, or certainly when I when I signed for Sunderland, I being that, that southern boy that didn't really know anything about the north, I didn't even know that Sunderland Newcastle was a derby. So when I first signed people straight away, which I found very strange, was you know that we weren't even in the Premier League, Newcastle were, and people are talking about can't wait to play against Newcastle. You'll never experience anything like that. I'm thinking, well, they're not they're not even in our league. Why why are you going on about it? So obviously when we got promoted. I, as I do every year, as I did every year in June when the fixtures come out, as soon as that day come out, wherever I was, you go and buy the paper and just yeah. see what the fixtures. And the first one I looked for was the Newcastle fixture. Firstly, first and foremost, who we got the first game. Yeah. Second, the Newcastle, then who we've got Boxing Day. Because that determines whether you get the day at home, Christmas Day. <laughs> um, so, yeah, you know, it was quite early on in the season, um, away at St. James's. And I think leading into the game, it was it was it was incredible the build up and people telling us that we hadn't won there for for a very very long time, and I, I I went into the game full of confidence. I was on fire, scoring lots of goals. Had scored lots of goals in the first two seasons. You know, people were talking about me and Shearer this and that. So I I, I was buzzing. I wanted to. It's it's funny actually because I think I'd scored what sixty goals up until then. 
yeah. 60, 60 something, including the Premier League goals. But I still never felt that I was part of Sunderland's folklore. Wasn't a legend just yet until you'd scored a winner in a derby. And I just felt that night with the goal, you know, people say you're meant to cross it. Well, believe me, when I turned around and saw Quinn in the box, I thought about crossing it and I thought, sod that, I ain't crossing it, I'm going for goal. And it was probably one of the sweetest chips I did all my all my career. Yeah. And it was only until after that game I really felt like I'd become a legend at the club. And, you know, I'd only been there two and a bit seasons, but it was uh, it was incredible. I don't know, I just, I don't know, you know, it's... I know I scored a fair few against them, but I scored a fair few against a lot of teams. So yeah. it's just because of who it's against. And as I said earlier, the 2-2 draw, the second game that season, as I say about atmosphere, the second goal was the atmosphere. I felt, I actually, when people say the roof came off, they you know, it's, a, it's just a cliche. It really did feel like yeah. the roof come off and uh, it was a great experience. But they, they were fantastic games to play in and I was lucky enough to get you know quite a few goals in them. I think my my favourite one would be the chip as well. Yeah, no, it, it, yeah, I think just for technique and the way it went in and where it was and, and the conditions that night as well in front of our supporters. My missus was there up in the gods as well. You couldn't really hear them, but it was a. Uh, was few hundred there as well, wasn't it? There was, yeah, yeah. It was, um, it was, it was, a, it was a great night. Brilliant night. Now, obviously, the first Premiership season went really, really well. You had Rodney Marsh with a whole. You only scored six goals, comment and all that, and mm. um, but you've been getting in the England team just before that and it was kind of unheard of at that point when it was like what would have been Division 1 as we would call it then um, player getting you and Mickey Gray getting in but you obviously the form continued so you continued in the England squad getting towards sort of Euro 2000 you were quite evidently the top scorer in the league at that point yeah. and I think everyone expected you to get much more of a chance than what you got mm. so you've got two sides to it you've got Kevin Keegan the man who's picked you from like being in what would have been the second tier at that point which is a, a big big accolade but then he's also not picked you when realistically you should have been picked, yeah. especially in you know, most fans' eyes here. So what was your relationship like with Kevin Keegan? How much frustration do you feel from that? And were you ever did you ever feel like being at Sunderland held you back from being picked more often than like the way that Darren Bent maybe was when he was here? Yeah, there's three, three questions in there yeah. as well. Um, <laughs> I think first and foremost, you know, yeah, I was delighted to meet me and Mickey to get picked for the England squad when we were in, in Division 1 at the time and it was unheard of. So, you know, great achievement for both of us. My relationship with Kevin Keegan was fantastic. Loved working with him because he was a striker. Yeah. You know, I grew up watching him. He was a legend of the game. So actually working with a man, did a lot of one-on-one -on -one sessions with him because he was a striker. So he would tend to hang back after training and and do extra with us. So it was, it was a privilege. <sighs> yeah, I think the frustrations of... Going, getting into the Euro 2000 squad, having finished the season as a Premier League's top goal scorer, and and as you mentioned in the intro about you know winning the European Golden yeah. Boot, going into a major tournament, I thought I would at least get some some minutes on the pitch. So you know, of course, when we get knocked out in the group stages, you know we're sitting there, we're sitting, you know we're sitting in games, and I'm sitting on the bench. We're not playing well, we're not scoring this and that, and I'm thinking. You know, surely I've got a chance of going on. But, you know, am I bitter about it? Not really. I would love to have had a go about it. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm privileged that I sat on the bench in a in a European, in a major tournament. Um, you know, no ill feeling towards Kevin Keegan. At that time, I was competing with some top-class strikers. But I think you, you probably, if you ask Kevin now, if he was honest, he'd probably turn around and say, because he's an honest guy, like, yeah, I probably should have put Kevin on. And, you know, we couldn't have done any worse. So, yeah, a little, I was disappointed, but no regrets. 
do I think that I would have had more caps if I if I hadn't been at Sunderland? I have to be honest. Yes, I think I probably would have. Yeah, and that's no slight on Sunderland. You know, I probably, as I said earlier, I could have moved on, but I didn't because I chose to stay at Sunderland because I felt that was the right thing. If I had gone, you know, to an Aston Villa or or a Leeds, you know, also I, was, I think I was linked with with Arsenal at the time. Certainly, if I'd gone to Arsenal, I probably would have got more caps, but I have no no regrets because the way I answer it now is that I was competing at that time with about six top-class England strikers. You know, I think if I was around nowadays, I'm only competing with Harry Kane. Yeah. Um, maybe, you know, Vardy's retired now. He, you know, I'm sure I'd have doubled my caps or trebled them. Um, so, you know, I was, I, was in a, I was playing in an era where there was some really, really tough, stiff, you know, competition. And I feel privileged, really, to have gone to a major championship and get eight caps for, for, for my country. Why do you think... Because from the outside looking in, people see Sunderland as a massive club. I, I think everyone sees that in the northeast with mm. you know Sunderland, Newcastle, and maybe Middlesbrough. You're quite a big club as well. Um, and when it comes to England, you have like yourself, Darren Bent, even Jermaine Defoe to an extent. We're kind of not largely ignored, but not given the chance that we felt felt that were deserved. Why do you think being at a club like Aston Villa or Leeds gives you more of a chance? Because we're still huge. I wouldn't say they would now, would they? If he's playing for Aston Villa, I think at the time, you know, Villa and Leeds, yeah, the history. I think the history of the, cl- the two clubs, yeah. you know, is, is is bigger than Sunderland. Certainly, Villa with the European Cups that they've won, mm-hmm. um, you know, having staged numerous FA Cup semi-finals, you know, what they've achieved. Um, that's that's the only reason, you know. I think Sunderland, Newcastle, and Middlesbrough because of the sheer stature of the clubs, the size of them, the, the supporters, make it a huge, huge football club. Um, so, you know, I think it's just history. You, you, you're battling against history of the club, but you know, in terms of playing, it shouldn't shouldn't matter. No, it shouldn't matter one iota because if you're playing for a team, and I think Gareth Gareth Southgate, to be fair to him, doesn't doesn't bother him anymore. You know, I he'll agree. pick he'll pick players from anywhere. You know, if you're playing well, you're English, you're scoring goals, you're producing the goods, you will get in the England squad. It's yeah. as simple as that, um, which I think is great. A lot of people people might argue about that now. You know, you can get anyone can get an England cap. There has been a times where I probably argue about that, but I think you know we we can't be picking choosing now because we haven't got enough English players to be able to do that. So, you know, I think Gareth's been a breath of fresh air, like like Kevin Keegan was when he picked me and Michael. You know, out there out of Division One, and yeah. at that time, you know, a lot of eyebrows were raised. But it doesn't matter. We were we were playing well. You know, I was scoring goals. Mickey was playing well. We deserved our chance. Yeah, I agree, 100%. Talking about strike partners that you've had, I'm sure you've been asked who your favourite strike partner is, Niall Quinn, I assume, is probably going to be the answer. But aside from Niall Quinn and your time at Sunderland, who is your favourite striker to play alongside? <sighs> I know. Um, <laughs> I had to think about this one too. <laughs> do you know, it's a, tough, a really, really tough one to because I never really struck up a, you know, a, a, yeah. a 15, 20-game partnership with anyone else. It was always bit parts. Uh, Deech had spells, Denny Dicchio, where he come in and, you know, he, he was kind of a light-for-light light stature. But, you know, Deech, I would have to say, and it's not a slight, and him wasn't, you know, a patch on Big Nile. Yeah. Um, Tor Andre Flo come in, you know, was disappointing. And, you know, it's that never really got going. Michael Bridges, I enjoy playing with him. He's a good player. Great player. Uh, a good player. But um, it, it's a tough one. You know, it's hard to to answer that because, 
you know, when I struck up such a great partnership with Niall, it was always when I had to play with someone else, you think, hurry up, Niall, and get fit. <laughs> um, so, you know, we tried when when he left with Tor and um, Marcus Stewart. Yeah. You know, it just never really, never felt right, if I'm being honest. Um, so, yes, yeah, a bit, you know, I don't want to, don't want to have a go at anyone, but it just never felt right playing with anyone bar Niall. So, um, and I think probably the stats will, will prove that. Yeah, I mean, everyone felt the loss of Quinny, I think, when you retired. Yeah, and I, and I think, you know, I think, you know, before I came to the club, you, if, if I hadn't have come to the club, you probably would have lost Niall a lot earlier. So I think we were both great for each other. Yeah. You know, I give him a new lease of life and he and he's, you know, he's big enough to admit that now, given that at least another two or three years of his career. And, uh, you know, probably two or three years of his career that have probably been some of the best. Yeah. Uh, the memories and what he went on to achieve and then obviously going on to, to, to be chairman. So, um, you know, we, we, we were good for each other. Moving on to your final season at the club, um, I could, could ask you about Peter Reid, but I'm, I'm assuming your relationship with Reid was great and probably still yeah. is to this day because yeah. what a brilliant manager for us he was and mm. what a great time it was. Howard Wilkinson was the man that replaced him, which was, should we say, left field. <laughs> what are your memories of Howard Wilkinson? Is there any stories that stick out for you? Uh, oh, loads. Um, <laughs> this, I think my memories was disappointment, really. Yeah. Uh, great man he is. been fantastic for the game of football and what he's done. Um, but it just... It just wasn't right. It wasn't the right appointment. I think it was like chalk and cheese with him and Steve Cotterell. Um, you had a young, one of our first UEFA licensed coaches in the country. He was young, enthusiastic, had all good ideas. And then you put him alongside Howard, who was quite old school. You know, it, it just didn't feel right. And I think when when the appointment was made, you know, we we yeah we you know we all got over. We was all disappointed, and, um, and I was hugely disappointed that Reedy left the club, but accepted that football's football results weren't weren't going. We need something had to happen, and you accept that. Once you get over that, you kind of half bit of you is like he's excited, and right, who's coming in now to try and get us going? And then when you hear all sorts of rumours, so and so has been spotted at the stadium, he's been, and then no one even guessed that it would be Howard Wilson. So. You know, I've never really asked Sir Bob Murray about that one, um, and I've, I've, I've probably made a conscious effort not to ask him about that one. So I think <laughs> he probably knew that it wasn't the right right decision. But um, uh, to be fair to Howard, he come in, he tried everything as you would when you come in when a club's struggling. But I thought at the time we just needed someone with perhaps Steve Cottrell's bubbliness just to try and get a feel good factor back to the to the club. And Howard just kind of, it was meetings after meetings and it just dragged the players down. Yeah. You know, and having having been on the coaching side now, had a, had a decent stint at it, you have, to, you have to find out what makes players tick, what's going to get the best out of them in a short period of time. Not sitting in a, in a classroom before training, not sitting in a classroom after training, analysing training, sitting in meetings at, about a meeting, about a meeting, and it just got the players down. Yeah. Um, so... For me, it wasn't a great appointment. And uh, I think, unfortunately, when Mick come in, it had gone. gone. Yeah, it was too far gone. And, uh, you know, he was fighting an uphill battle. So, um, yeah, it was a strange one. But he, he tried everything, and you have to give him give him credit for that. We had Matt Piper. We've had Thomas Butler in the studio, and we, we discussed how to work with him with him. And uh, the story about David Attenborough. He, well, that's a, he, he did another one. He, he comes in before... One of the games, and let's say he tried everything. He got 
he got a company and one day we had to go upstairs in the stadium, sit in a circle and this bloke come in and started talking and this guy goes into big companies in the country and tries to solve problems, find out what the issue is to try and get a good team spirit and iron all them problems out. So anyway, this is during the week. Anyway, we come in on the Saturday. Howard's comes in, everyone's sat down. We're all thinking, what's he going to talk about now? What, what's going to happen? So he comes in with a plastic carry bag in his hand. And I'm thinking, and straight away, all the lads are looking at each other, thinking, what's he doing here now? So he's got like a, I think it might have been a Tesco's or a Sainsbury's plastic carrier bag. It's like, what's he got in his hand? So he starts walking up and down, doing his team talk. And he starts going on about, you know, who's going to stand up? Who's going to take the reins? Who's going who's gonna to grasp the net? Or which one of you is going to do that? He said, because I tell you what, I'll grasp the net if none of you do it. So at that point, he opens a carrier bag, puts his hand in a carrier bag, and brings out a great big bunch of stinging nettles. So he says, there, I've grasped the net. Oh, I've done it. I showed that I'm a man. He's like, so he goes around and who wants to take him? So all the lads are like, no, I'm not taking him. I'm not. No one took him. So anyway, he puts him back in the bag, carries on his team talk. But while he's doing his team talk, you know, you make you, you think, I ain't listening to him. Or I just yeah. want to watch his hand. And you could see him while he's doing his team take. He's like shaking his hand as if he'd stung <laughs> the hell out of his hand. So it was, a, like I say, you have to give him credit for trying everything. Yeah. And that's the way football's gone now. You know, you know, he yeah. started it really with bringing in psychologists, problem-solving people. He brought in the the geese video about who's the best team in the world. We're all sat there and he'd go, who's the best team in the world? Man United, Real Madrid, Barcelona. No, press his play on the video and it's a flock of geese. <laughs> and he said, that's the best team in the world because they fly in a V formation. They create drag, which helps each other through. So the one at the top of the... The V, when he gets tired, he drops to the back and then someone else goes to the front and it creates drag and he'll drag that person along, which nowadays, you know, you see that all the time. And, uh, but it was a bit, it was a bit yeah. bizarre at the time. Because you're going from someone like Bobby Saxton as well, not just really, but Bobby Saxton. Yeah. I mean, the stories you hear about Bobby Saxton oh, are yeah. brilliant. Yeah, like, well, it's, it's different and it's different. But um, it, when you look back now and think about it, at the time you laughed about it. Well, you didn't, you know, we were in a serious situation. Yeah. But, you just thought this ain't helping. But nowadays it's common, you know, it's common. When you look at, I think, the area as well, I mean, obviously I'm, I'm going really deep here, but I think the area, someone needs someone like period Bobby Saxton. There seems to be a, a specific attitude I think needed at Sunderland, and I think someone like Carl Wilkinson just didn't. Yeah, it didn't. It, it, it just didn't work. It no, didn't work. It just... uh, so, you know, it was a it was a bizarre, a bizarre appointment. And like I say, the, the right appointment at the time probably would have been Mick McCarthy. Yeah. Um, because I think he'd have had enough time to turn it round, um, but unfortunately, when he come in, it, it you know the, the squad had gone, the club had gone, and it, it was very tough for him. You just got on my next question there, thankfully, which is good. Talk about Mick McCarthy when he came. I think it was just before the Bolton game, and it was I think if we'd won the Bolton game, maybe we could have had half a hope, but we went down with nineteen points. It was it was too far mm. gone. We know that. So come to the end of the season, we lose off the top of my head yourself, Tommy Sorensen, Quinnie retired that season, Gavin McCann. I know obviously every player has an ambition to play in the Premiership and you were still really young at that point. But mm. was there ever a part of you that wanted to stay or did the club ever try to convince you to stay or was it? Uh, yeah, there was part of me wanted to stay, uh, but it was a combination of things really. As I, as I told you, you know, when Sunderland uh, rewarded me with, with the best contract that they'd, they'd given a player, you know, like naturally like any club when, when you get relegated and, and we've seen it in the last two seasons, some people lose their jobs and ultimately they try to offload the top earning players to try and cut the budget. And I was no different. And I was made well aware 
and I never had a clause in my contract about you know wages being cucks. We never thought we'd get relegated because yeah, because cool. I signed when we finished seventh, and then seventh we thought we we're on the way up. Um, if anything, you know, we'd all be signing new contracts, but um, you know, it wasn't to be. So there was no clause, and it, it it was you know one of those. Either I personally would have to have said, I'll tell you what, I will take a fifty percent cut to stay at the club, or no, I'm not. You know, I'll, I'll move on and stay in the Premier League. And, you know, at the time I've got a young family. I'm still rel- relatively young. So it was a case of, you know, it's time to move on. I would love to have stayed at the club, don't get me wrong. I'd love to have played all my career here. Um, but football being football, you know, it, it just doesn't happen like that. So, you know, financially the club had to get rid of me. I think they got three, three point five million Manhattan, from Southampton. Right? Yeah. So, you know, it was time to move on. Like you say, you know, we lost a fair few players. They lost a fair few players that summer. It was a disappointing end to, to my time at Sunderland, I have to say. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, I, I didn't particularly get on with Mick. Um, we had a bit of a falling out and, uh, you know, he's made it clear to me since then. <laughs> but um, it's one of those, it's football. You know, I think I'd kind of accepted that I was moving on. And uh, because I started back, at, I started back pre-season. And it took, I think it took a couple of weeks before I moved. You were still here when, yes, I think the, when the season began. Yes, the yeah, yeah, it was, you're game. right, correct. And, uh, you first know, game, I think yeah, uh, Mick never put me in the squad. I had to train here on my own. And I felt just I was getting treated a little bit, you know, after what I'd done for the club. Um, but yeah, listen, that's football. And, yeah. you know, the quicker I could have moved on at that time was bad for everyone, really. Yeah. Um, so, you know, when, when, when the bid come in, you know, it was, um, I wouldn't say it was a relief because I was gutted to leave and I never really got a chance to say goodbye to the supporters. But it's football. You almost came back, yeah. um, which I was devastated about that you didn't. Um, <laughs> looking back, because I remember it was, I think it was, the, it was around the Berry game. And the only reason I remember that the time scale so well is I went down to the Berry game and Bobby Saxon came out and someone said, Oh, is, is, is Kevin Phillips signing? And he said, No, and he's, he's, he's going to West Brom. Yeah. Like to the fact. So we kind of knew just a few hours before I think you went. Um, but I have read that at one point you obviously you agreed to come but I, I know for a fact that you stayed because of the family I know it was better for you to stay in the Midlands stay with your family as you said young family at that point did you know Roy Keane was due to take no. over would that have changed your mind? Uh, no I, if okay. I'm being honest no I didn't I didn't I, I agreed to come up and talk to Niall I didn't agree to, you know I didn't agree any any financial thing didn't agree a contract I just said I'll come up and have a chat I got permission from Martin O'Neill uh, to come up and talk to Niall. Niall said to me, listen, we've got a big announcement about the manager. And I said to Niall, who is it? You know, having been the coach, he said, Kev, I can't tell you. I don't think it would have made any difference. Yeah. Um, but I still would have come up and spoke. But being football, being football, once it was made clear that I was able to leave Aston Villa, we had a lots of phone calls from clubs saying, can we talk to you? Can we talk to you? Really, it only kind of happened at West Brom because West Bromwich was on the way to Sunderland from where I am. So Brian Robson rung and just said, look, would you just do us a courtesy if popping into the training ground on your way to Sunderland just to have a quick chat, just see, you know, see what your thoughts are about, you know, what we can offer you, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So I went, yeah, no problem. So knowing football the way I do now, once a club gets you into a training ground, if they want you that much, and don't don't forget at that time I'd thought about it, you know, initially when Niall rung me and said, would you come back? Would you be interested? My initial reaction was yes, without even thinking about it because of, you know, the relationship I've, I've got with the place. As soon as I put the phone down, you start thinking about it. I went home, spoke to the missus about it, spoke to people that I know about it. 
looked at players that have gone back to clubs before and has it really been the same as when they were there before? Most times not. No. So I had to, you know, weigh all those options up and I just thought, you know, I'm well liked up there. I've, you know, I've broke records. You could say I've become a, you know, a legend at the club. If I go back and foul, you know, that'll hurt me. That'll leave a bit of taste in my mouth for the rest of my, my career. So part of me was, I didn't want to ruin that. Um, So when I had the option of going and speak to West Brom, went in, Brian, and as I said, you know, once a club gets you in there, they're not going to let you go. And Brian Robson would not let me leave that training ground without signing. So they they kind of threw everything at us. Uh, They pretty much took over my contract at at Aston Villa. Well, they did take it over. And then I had to make the phone. I just went, right, you know, that's decided. I don't have to move home. I wasn't keen on moving again. We'd only moved to the Midlands. We'd only been in there a year. Yeah, it was a season for Yeah, one season. Yeah. We'd only literally just got settled in a new house. Um, and I just thought, you, you know what? I think it would be, in the long run, the best, best decision to stay in the Midlands and, and not go back. So it was it was an uncomfortable phone call to make to, to Big Nile. He, he wasn't particularly pleased. But I think in hindsight now, it, it was the right decision. Um, talking about coming back as well, many, many people have called for your return to the club since you've retired and gone into coaching. Um, sometimes people... Talk about management even. Mm. Has a return ever been on the cards? No. No, nothing. Um, as you as you say, you know, I think the last two or three times that Sunderland have, have looked for a new manager, my name's always come up. It's always been at the top of the, the betting. The only time there was anything was, I think it was not last summer, the summer before when... The club was up for sale. Was it last summer or the summer before they were up for Summer sale? just... Summer uh, before, wasn't it? Yeah, when Simon Grayson got the job, yes. um, I'm, I'm playing golf in a tournament at the Belfry and I get a phone call from Tony Adams, believe it or not. And Tony said, Kev, he says I, he was putting a consortium together to buy the football club. Mm-hmm. And uh, he said, listen, if we get it, we'd love you to come in to be the manager. And naturally, again, without any thought, I went, yeah, you know, I would love to. He says, well, you know, we're at the early stages. We're, we're going to put our bid in next week. And, uh, you know, once we know what's happening, we'll let you know if we get it. You know, we want you to come in. So I was like, yeah, of course, no problem, Tony. They put their bid in the next week and it, I don't think it was anywhere near, you know, what what, what Ellis Short was looking for and yeah. uh, it didn't happen. So that's probably the only, clo- that's the closest I've ever come to having any conversation with a club uh, regarding my uh, a return to the football club. So my returns now are coming up, chatting to you, coming to watch the game as, as just as a supporter. And, uh, and and I enjoy doing that. Probably a silly question, but say you were given the chance tomorrow to said first team coach. No. No? I wouldn't, no, I wouldn't come up as a, a first team coach. Um, Do you feel ready to go into management? Yeah, I'd like a crack at it. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, I'm, I, I, I wouldn't. I know I wouldn't entertain that. So we asked about, obviously, your, your favourite goals. Um, before I... I asked about your favourite derby goal so before we go on to your sort of favourite goal maybe for Sunderland one thing I wanted to ask I was there when when he scored for Villa thanks oh, yeah, for that yeah, that was yeah. horrible um, <laughs> how how did that feel for you because I remember it was it was in those days when players kind of still did celebrate and I remember you didn't and the whole stadium kind of went silent like we knew it was happening but how did you feel doing that uh, it was a it was a weird weird feeling uh, I think firstly coming back and playing yeah. as an opposition player um, literally just a build-up going to the the, um, the Marriott at, at Durham, you know, because I'd been there many times. We was a member of the Leisure Club there, and just going in there as an opposition player, and people coming up to us, and 
you know, just saying, oh, we, you know, we got you left the club and this and that. I've, I have to say, I've never enjoyed playing against my ex-clubs. Never particularly had good games. Yeah. But I was suppose it was sod's law, wasn't it, that I was yeah. gonna I was gonna score, and I think it was the opening goal, wasn't it, a glance it was. header. Yeah. So I, I I'd already made my mind up that I wasn't gonna celebrate. Um, and when the ball come across, and you know, it's just I've nicked it in in the goal. You know, I just straight away I knew that obviously the Villa sports uh, players are gonna jump all over us. Um, I just I made a conscious decision that I'm gonna walk back to the centre circle. And I have to say it was a it was a weird feeling because. It was quiet. All I could hear was the Villa supporters singing Super Kev. And then all of a sudden, the Sunderland supporters started singing Super Kev as well. And I just thought, you're getting sung about from your own supporters, but also from the away supporters yeah. having just scored. So it was, a, it was a bit of a weird feeling. And, uh, you know, I came off in that game and I think we won 4 0 in the end or 4 1. 3 1. 3 1, was it? 3 yeah. 1. So yeah, it was a, it was a, it was a, a bizarre, a bizarre feeling. Are you pleased you came back with with Birmingham because you came back a few years later and it was a very very different atmosphere. You came on, I think we won three one. You came on as for like I think the last 10, 15 minutes. I think most people knew that might be the last time we'd see you at the stadium. Like as a player, you got like if I remember standing ovation going off the pitch, coming onto the pitch as well. Yeah. Are you pleased that happened? So like your last performance at the stadium like yeah. wasn't the Villa game basically. Yeah, and don't forget I came back for West Brom and I got booed by a few people. I do remember that. Yeah, I was going so to try I remember, and avoid it. I remember, it. <laughs> um, I don't know if I started the game or what. You were on the bench. That I was day. on the bench and yeah. I remember warming up and, you know, of course, when I ran up, you know, I made it and, and I got a lot of claps but then I heard a lot of people shouting, Phillips, you're blah, 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 you know, this and that. And I just thought, I know it's football, you expect it. So, you know, that was kind of, I suppose, a little bit hurtful. But, um, yeah, certainly when I come back for for Birmingham and uh, got the scent, you know, the, I think, we all knew that it's probably the last time I was going to be playing at Stadium and Light. Although I went on to play for a few more years after that, you just never know. But yeah, it was a fantastic send-off. And uh, yeah, it was nice. Like I say, I never really got a chance to to say yeah. goodbye to the fans. And uh, actually tomorrow I'm going to do the half-time draw on the pitch. So it'd be nice to to give the supporters a wave tomorrow and uh, might get a few boos tomorrow as well. No. So. <laughs> I doubt it. No, we'll do it, it from the Walsall supporters. That's actually closer to me than any of the teams yeah. where I live now. But, um, no, it was nice. Yeah, it was a nice. That was that was nice. I think finally, it's probably a bit of a cheesy question to ask, but I, I wanted to ask it anyway. I think it's a nice ending. Um, what does Sunderland mean to you? Well, it means everything, really. It's 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 where I made my name. You know, wherever I go now, wherever it's amazing, really. You know, and it's you can be anywhere in the world. And I found that that there's always a Sunderland support somewhere, and yeah. you're, and, <laughs> and I tend to get recognised wherever you think you no one's going to know me, and then all of a sudden you go, it's Kevin Phillips, and it'd be a Sunderland support because, and obviously because I play for nine nine teams, and and and, and the nine teams when I analyse it now have all been big, you know, decent clubs, yeah. so there's always supporters all over the world now, but ultimately I made my name here at Sunderland, and. You know, that 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 lived with me forever. First and foremost, Watford. I owe everything to Watford Football Club for giving me the opportunity of being a professional Glen Roder. Um, ironically, he's an ex-Newcastle guy. Um, but he I, he was a guy that I rang when I had the chance to come here. Him him and Alec Chamberlain, um, because I was at Watford with a pair Alec of them. Yeah, Alec said, back. go. He said, a fantastic place. And Glen Roder said, you get the chance to go and play in the North East, you've got to go. He said, because I'm telling you now, it's the best place to play football in the world, he said, when it's going well. He said, but unfortunately, if it's not going so well, it's the worst place. And that always stuck with me. So that was another reason why I came here with the attitude of, I want to do well. Yeah. Um, so ultimately, 
you know, my 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 career is remembered for for Sunderland. So yeah, it's it's always great to come back. Amazing. Thanks so much for doing it, Kevin. No problem. Massive, massive. Thanks for doing Just it. Make sure you get the aircon working. Next yeah, yeah. For for those listening, we're all we're all sweating here. The air, the aircon's broken. We're all we're having a bit of a, a, a yeah, drabble thing, that. aren't we? <laughs> um, we'll leave it on that. Some exchange betting companies run short-lived promotions like months-long offers of low commission. At BetDag, we wanted to change the way we did things, so we set our commission at 2% permanently. That's 2% on football, horse racing, golf, almost any sport. 2%. That's just one way that BetDag is changing for the better. For the better, like you. BetDag, the 2% commission exchange. Over 18s only, please gamble responsibly. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey, it's Paige Desorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.